Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm your host. And on today's episode, I'm talking with Jay Peterberry, who is a member of our community that likely needs no introduction. Uh, Jay first rode the Tour Divide in 2007, and he has been making waves in the bikepacking world ever since. His latest project was to ride the entire Great Divide mountain bike route that as of 2018 now starts in Jasper, Canada, which adds about 500 miles onto the route that we currently know as the Tour Divide that starts in Banff. And there's a little bit of history behind the Tour Divide, the Great Divide mountain bike route, and it all ties into Jay's purpose and reasoning for wanting to do this ride. He titled it Unearthed. And it was a project that he worked on for many years. Uh, he had a cool bike built and unique bike. He had fundraising efforts uh, surrounding it. And he put a lot of time and attention into setting the fastest known time on the Great Divide mountain bike route, the whole thing, which now is 3,080 miles. Unfortunately, about 2,000 miles into his ride, Jay was struck from behind by a motorist in broad daylight on a clearly visible road. He was struck from behind at about 2,000 miles into his ride halfway through Colorado, thus ending his ride and beginning his road to recovery. So in today's episode, we are catching up with Jay. We are hearing from him about the tragic event that happened to him about his injuries, about his recovery, and of course, about him coming back to revisit Unearth sometime in the future. I wish there was some kind of happy bow to tie on to this episode, but the reality is, is that as cyclists, we are vulnerable and we are in a world that is not set up or designed for us. And Jay getting hit by a motorist is a sober reminder of the danger that is out there, the danger that we face and how vulnerable we are as cyclists. So while that isn't a fun conversation, uh, it is an important one and it's an important reminder and we're lucky that Jay is still with us and he's able to share his story and he's able to tell us about it. And I'm really, I'm really glad that he is. I absolutely enjoyed this episode. It was really nice to have him on the podcast for the first time. And I am looking forward to seeing him back on the bike as soon as possible and wishing him all the best in his recovery. Now, before we get to today's episode, let's take a moment to thank the people that made it possible, starting with our latest patron. So this week, we would like to thank... Andy Field, I think. Yes, we'd like to thank Andy Field for signing up to be a sustaining member of the Bikes for Death podcast. These podcasts take a lot of work and they're not possible without the support of this wonderful community. So if you would like to help support and produce these episodes, you can find out more over at patreon.com forward slash bikes for death. All right, and today's episode is also brought to us by a new advertising partner. I'd like to tell you about Fred Bars. If you don't know about Fred Bars, they are solving one of the biggest problems that we face as ultra endurance cyclists, bike packers, and bike tours, and that is comfort. I don't know about you, but 
on long rides, 100, 200 plus miles. Um, I deal with severe hand pain, hand and wrist pain. It's always been uh, my Achilles heel, so to speak. And it's something that I've just gotten used to. I've just learned to accept that, hey, I'm just always gonna have hand pain. But that is exactly where Fred Bars comes in because they were designed to help solve the problem by opening up different riding positions for bike packers and endurance cyclists. So what the Fred Bar is, is a small mounting bar that attaches to your steer tube above the stem. And when installed, it creates a mounting platform for your aero bars that is designed to put long distance riders in a much more comfortable and favorable position for long days in the saddle. It does this by bringing the aero bars a little higher and a little bit closer to the rider. Remember that the objective here is comfort and not being aero. So a fun fact is that Fred Bars was originally invented for the very first Tour Divide ride in 2008. And it's been used by tons of Tour Divide riders ever since. If you're interested in learning more about that, I've linked an article in the show notes. Uh, you can find it on our website as well that tells you more about the Fred Bars story. So if you are like me and you experience hand pain, wrist pain, shoulder pain, or numbness on long rides, or if you just want to be more comfortable, I highly recommend that you check out the Fred Bars. It's an easy solution to one of long distance cycling's greatest problems, comfort. So to learn more and to check them out for yourself, head over to fredbars.com and don't be shy to let them know that Bikes for Death sent you. And remember, Fred Bars, so you can ride your damn bike in comfort. All right, ching, 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 the bills have been paid and now it is time to get to my chat with Jay Peterberry. One quick note about the formatting of today's episode is we are gonna start today's conversation with his injuries and the accident and what happened. I think that is the predominant thing that people are going to want to know about. Um, I pulled my patrons prior to Jay coming on and getting a, a sense for what kind of questions were out there in the community and obviously a lot of concern about what happened, how was Jay hit, why was Jay hit, what can we learn from this. Um, and so that's where the conversation starts. Uh, but of course, we're going to talk about his bike. We're going to talk about his Great Divide mountain bike run. We're going to talk about him coming back. We're going to talk about some of the history of the Tour Divide and bike packing and all kinds of good stuff. Again, it was my distinct honor and privilege to have Jay Peterberry on the podcast. I'm so grateful that he's here and uh, we can even have this conversation. But I'm happy to see that he is on his road to recovery and riding his damn bike again one day soon. All right, well, before we get to today's episode, let's have my friend Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes for Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think... Oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Or death. Bikes. Or death. Podcast. All right. Well, Jay, my first question for you is how do you pronounce pronounce your last name? Is it Petterberry or Peterberry? Yeah, just like it's it's spelled Peterberry. 
Peterberry. Okay. Well, in that case, yeah. I'd like to apologize because I've been pronouncing it wrong forever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I always totally call cool. you Petterberry. So uh, I I was listening to uh, you and Rebecca Rush did a Instagram live prior to your unearthed, and uh-huh. and I she knows you better than I do, and she she called you by J Peterberry, and I was like, hmm, I might I might have that one wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how people want to. Um try to add some sort of like other like uh, i don't know what it is they want to articulate it differently than what it's yeah. spelt we want to make I it think fancier. Just do that naturally with last names right they just try to make it more complicated <laughs> i know i i struggle with it um so uh are you still in driggs idaho area i'm in victor yeah victor yeah uh, so we we refer to the I generally call it Teton Valley if I'm explaining it to somebody. Yeah. And then we just kind of include Victor and Driggs when we say that. But as a town, I live on the south end of the valley, which is Victor. Oh, gotcha. How long have you been in that area? Oh, gosh. I uh, I moved to Jackson, so just over the hill uh, in 2000. And then uh, we spent about 10 years over there. And then we popped over the hill and bought this place in 2010. I got you. So, Do you know my uh, my friend Ash Alexander used to live in Driggs, Idaho. I think he was there for about 10 to 15 years. He was a, he or he is a cyclist. He's not dead. He's just in New York now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It uh, doesn't ring a bell. I mean, I'm good with names and I've been around with the cycling culture, obviously, yeah. for a long time and just floating around. But yeah. I was out it's riding bikes. With- it's pretty special. Oh, it is. Yeah. He and I rode, uh, I was there in, I want to say 2018 or 2019. Uh, and the whole time we were riding around or just driving around, I was in the town. We were always like looking for you. He's like, every once in a while you'll see Jay, you know, pedaling around. So I never saw you. I never ran into you, but we always had, had our eyes peeled when we were out there, uh, riding around the area. Well, Jay, uh, I wish that we were meeting under better circumstances, um, but I, I really do appreciate you coming on the podcast and being willing to kind of share your story and, and what's been going on. Um, so first of sure. all, I just wanted to uh, extend my condolences for you know the, the injuries and, and, the, and the disappointing end to your ride and your big project. Um, but again, I just appreciate you coming on to, uh, to share what's been going on. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's dive right into current events, man. Uh, I mean, there's an intro part to this podcast, so everyone I think will be kind of up to date with the fact that you were hit by a motorist while you were out on your unearthed uh, ride. Um, I just want to start at the beginning. Like, you know, where are you at today? We're about 30 days after the wreck. Um, what injuries have you have you sustained? What, you know, what are, are you going through surgeries? Like, what does your life look like right now? Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess the dirty part's over with as far as things go for right now. Um, you know, I, I broke a, a humerus and that got plated and that got plated a few days after I got hit. And then I had a wrist that needed to be put back together. So it's got some, uh, hardware in it. And that was done like a week after I was hit. And then um, I do have a broken uh, L2 kind of fracture down the center. Um, The fortunate part of that is uh, there's no 
little pieces floating around nothing got into my spinal canal or anything like that so like nerve wise i feel good but like there's nothing you could do with that it's just got to heal on its own and i'd say like right now that's kind of like uh the worst of the injuries um it's definitely the one that's kind of just like making it uncomfortable i don't want to say things are still painful um you know things are pain is relative and it's like it's certainly that way at the beginning but um now it's just very uncomfortable everything is really uncomfortable but the back is like it's making my lower back tighten up and things like that and sleeping is just absolutely horrible a couple hours at a time type of thing i just can't get comfortable i mean i have to wear this thing like you know seven days a week 24 7 so um just getting comfortable is kind of tough uh and uh my energy levels are higher than they were the first couple of weeks i was definitely like kind of bedridden just on the couch uh you know body's doing its thing and then on top of it being on top uh having you know painkillers and drugs and everything else you're just kind of like not you're out of it right so um i would say i'm through all that and like i said my energy level's higher so i'm, I'm walking around and just like trying to stay busy um uh, and not get frustrated. It's, um, it's definitely challenging for me. I'm not one to sit still and have a lot of projects going on. I'm usually doing something physical. Uh, and you know, I can't really lift much with either arm right now. So that's kind of like, so I'm kind of just like messing around doing some micro organizing of things that I can kind of mess around. You know, my workshop has never been so clean. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, uh, honestly, I'm lucky that all my injuries in theory should heal. Okay. Um, and I've done some follow-up. So right now I'm in that follow-up phase of like post-op and getting regular, uh, x-rays, but not starting PT yet. Um, and so I'm kind of looking forward to that, that step. Cause then I can actually start doing some movements and things. Um, yeah. so, you know, it's, it's just slow <laughs> at this point. Yeah. How, how, how has, and I, I mean, this is kind of an ambiguous question a little bit, but how has, you know, being an athlete and specifically an endurance athlete that's used to dealing with hard and sustained efforts, um, how do you think that is helping your recovery at all? Maybe even from like a mental standpoint, but do you think that has any impact on what you're going through? Uh, yeah, like I, like I understand there's a, there's a side of injury, especially with an athlete and a serious injury where like, you know, it's easy for me to get like mad if I let it, like I can easily be like, Oh, that kid, like, why did I get hit? Like, you know, I felt I was in the safest spot. This is so seems unfair. Like, right. That's, that's easy to go into that space. If I, if I let it, um, yeah. it's easy to be like, get frustrated because like, I can't finish the remodel I'm doing. I can't do the yard work I want to do um, physically, you know, and I, I just like to do all this stuff physically all the time. I'm just that way. Um, and I can, and I can't even really like, I can't write right now. And so there's all these like things um, that it would be easy to get frustrated. And so like, I know this and I need to stay positive. And I think that goes along with like any long distance event, right? Like, uh, you know, racing long distance has taught me patience, um, like never before in a big, big way. And through the years, like I wasn't always patient in long distance either, but I've through the years. And even to this day, 
I gain more patience. I'm more relaxed. Uh, I look at um, challenges or hiccups in an event or a situation I'm in. I look at it differently and more calmly than I used to. And so I think that's helping with this um, and just accepting it, right? Like I've talked to a lot of people that have been injured and just people that are in this situation um, and just people I'm consulting with as well. And they're like, dude, like you're going to have to deal. Like it's going to get frustrating and this and that. And like, um, and recognizing that is one thing. And now, now I need to do it. Um, and I am going through it. <laughs> Um, and like yeah, it's easy to ask, say, right? It's easy to yeah, say, but it's just, like, and people are asking like right now, like daily. And I'm like, I'm just starting to get frustrated, right? Like with like wanting to do things. Um, but I'm close to getting to my, uh, time of doing, starting physical therapy. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think so. Yeah. Uh, in short, I think like my, my racing and my long distance, like mental attitude fortitude is helping with this for sure. Yeah. Um, still not easy. You know, challenges are challenges. Um, and that's yeah, just how uh, it is. it's also interesting. It, I mean, there's no way to know for sure, but how much being in shape, uh, having an active and a strong body and a strong mind will help you know, help from the second you got hit to, you know, also through your recovery, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think about those things and, you know, I don't take my physical conditioning or my attitude or just my makeup for granted. Like I am who I am and I feel really good about it. I work hard at, um, what I am and physically and stay conditioned and things like that. And, um, but I definitely like, what I think back at that accident or even the times I was in the hospital, and just like dealing with the pain, I haven't had surgery yet, but like I'm forcing myself and like making myself get up and getting my legs underneath me to like sit myself up so I could stand up. And like, I think about that and I'm like, you know, somebody with like, just not as strong, not as determined, just isn't going to be doing this right now. Like, I know that. Um, and I've had other injuries in my past where like, you know, the doctor's like, ah, oh, you'll be doing something in eight you know, eight to 12 weeks or something. And, you know, I, I generally look at that time and I'm like, I want to cut that in half. And that's just how I am. And even when I'm with my consulting, when people, uh, for bikepacking, like people approach me and say, I want to do this event or I want to go to ITI or something. I'm, and they have like this goal of like three years or something. And I'm like, I'm immediately like, ah, let's cut that in half. Like, we'll get you there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, I think that's just kind of the attitude you have to have to kind of like really get some things done. And, um, and also like kind of keep yourself accountable to a certain uh, yeah. level because it's easy to kind of get like a little lax. It's easy for me to like start drinking more and hanging out. Yeah. Um, just all of those other things that could, that aren't good. Right. Um, so like, you know, just having that mind, like, yeah, like this is a hard day and this is a slow day because I can't do much, but I still need to be like on it somehow with recovery always in my mind yeah it's, yeah it's tricky. I, do, I can totally see that because i mean it is kind of i don't know about for you i don't want to put words in your mouth but having events having you know scheduled bike rides training those are things those are habits that help 
keep us healthy, right? Mentally and physically healthy and kind of keep us away from, you know, drinking too many beers at night or, you know, it's like, it keeps you in check. It keeps your diet in check. It's like, I'm doing all this work and I don't want to offset it by all this negative behavior and patterns. But like in lieu of that, without that as, as a carrot to kind of work for, I hadn't considered that, but being, you know, how much easier would be to slip into just negative patterns, life uh, patterns, you know? Yeah. Or not doing things every day. You know, I try to do things that are somewhat productive to me, you know, and even just like looking at things and visualizing some space. Cause I am doing some remote work. I got to move some down. It's this time of year. But then when I have an able body, I could be like, Hey man, can you help me with this? And this is what I want to do this here, this here, this there. And at least my brain is working. Right. And like, I'm thinking about things that's somewhat productive. I mean, I'm just starting to turn to the computer. I'm just starting to like do some planning and work on my uh, fat pursuit event in camp. So like, uh, you know, I, I have some things. And so at the end of the day, yeah. it's like something, you know, um, cause it is, yeah, I- it's, you can like it can go south too quickly and easily i think yeah i can <laughs> and especially I, when the bike is like truly the bike is like i mean it's medicine for me like right like it's an outlet for me like it's not mentally healthy for me to not ride my bike and that's yeah. just how it is um I, I was just having a conversation with my girlfriend a few days ago and i was a little personal inside, but I, I recently, uh, decided to wean myself off of like SSRIs for like social anxiety. I've been taking a, a medic medication for years now for anxiety. And I'm like, you know what, I'm in a good place. I'm going to, I'm going to try to get off this shit. And as a result, you go through withdrawals and they can be pretty extreme and and pretty like debilitating in of themselves and as i'm going through this process i'm feeling like really unwell but i know there's like a you know a a light at the end of the tunnel so to speak but i'm telling her i'm like when you're when you feel sick when you feel off as somebody who gains so much value from being outside from pushing my body from riding bikes to not be able to do that is I don't even know how to articulate it, but it's very, it's, it's challenging. It's so hard to be stuck in your body, in this body that you're used to feeling capable and confident in and feeling kind of stuck, you know, and like, and, and it doesn't feel good. It's, it's scary. It's uncomfortable. You don't have the outlet that you normally have to pursue, to help you deal with the things that, you know, you're struggling with. Uh, So I can only imagine what, you know, you're going through with a much more prolonged, uh, recovery ahead of you, you know? Yeah. And I, and, and that's another thing too. I can't get stuck with trying to look too far down the road. You know, I, I, I can't look too far ahead cause I don't even know what that looks like. Yeah. That's daunting. Yeah. What is <laughs> <laughs> that? Yeah. That's daunting. Um, well, tell us what, I mean, what do you know about your recovery? Um, what, what do you hope that looks like? What, what's the plan? Yeah. I mean, it's like, there, you know, I mean, I can't say it enough, but I'm super thankful and lucky that like all my injuries, like they're broken bones, like broken bones heal. I mean, in theory, I should be fine. Like 
we don't know. We don't think I have like soft tissue damage. Like, you know, I'll find out a little more with like rotator to see if I did anything there. But like, you know, there's no, there's not a lot of suspicion there. And like, same thing with my back. Like I don't have nerve damage. So like these things should heal and like bones typically heal. Like any doctor's going to tell you, okay, 12 weeks, you should be back to doing things. So, you know, where does that put me? Like I would, you know, hopefully in, in December, like I'm doing some like decent physical work. Um, whether that's at the gym or whatever, but like, yeah, I want to be skiing this winter for sure. Um, and, and I will. So, yeah, I, I mean, and I'm saying that now, you know, hoping like nothing develops with my back and things like that. Um, uh, just being optimistic, but like, you know, that's kind of how bones work, you know? So I, you know, I just have to look at it that way and just like, okay, hopefully there's no soft tissue damage and the bones will heal three months later. I should be skiing um, and riding bikes and riding winter bikes. Um, yeah. What, what is, I mean, I'm, I'm not a medical person. What is soft tissue damage? Like how specifically would that impact your ability to recover? Yeah. So broken bones are easy. Like we can look them up with x-rays and CT scans. And like, that's what sees like the bones. We could see like their positioning and they're cracked and this and that. So we fix that. So when we talk about soft tissue damage, we're talking about like maybe ligaments, um, torn, stretched, or uh, things like that, muscle damage. Like we can't see that stuff in an x-ray, but we can see that in an MRI. And in general, a general practices, like uh, there's going to be signs of like soft tissue damage, meaning like you can't move your arm at all, or there's nerve damage. So then they want to see... MRI. And then we can look at kind of soft tissue stuff, but it's also like, you know, it's like, you got to put the the horse before the cart. Right. So like before we can even consider, consider soft tissue damage, we really need to get the bone to heal mm -hmm. because then once the bones healed, then we could start PT and start moving properly. Like right mm -hmm. now, I'm not even allowed to move my wrist. So I don't know, like we're not even messing with ligaments yet. So we wait for those things and that's like kind of the process of it. So it's like, yeah, they can, they have some good Intel just by the way you're moving and what you're doing, but there's never, you don't know until the bones are healed. Now you start the movements. Um, and so it's a little bit of a limbo and a question for sure. Um, but you know, all things lead to like, yeah, Jay, like you're going to be okay. Like when they looked at my back, they're like, yeah, dude, like you broke your back, but like, it's probably like, maybe the best break you can have if that means anything <laughs> it means okay. something i mean at yeah, this exactly. stage yeah yeah at this <laughs> stage you're like well i wish i didn't get hit by a, a kid on the car but since i did i'm glad that i'm gonna heal exactly. i guess yeah i'm i i'm curious how you're handling the doctor's orders so i mean you know, let's talk about recovery because like, I assume there's a couple things at play here. One, you want to, you know, speed up that process as fast as possible and, and recover as fast as possible. I have to assume the other side of that is you want to recover as well as possible, which means taking care of your body, maybe listening to your doctors. How are you managing that balance of listening to your doctors, not pushing it too hard, but also trying to recover as fast as possible? 
Yeah. So I certainly um, will listen to a doctor. <laughs> um, um, and I like to like, I'll listen to anybody and everyone and just however I digest that and take that is up to me. Sure. Um, and I also know like every individual is completely different. Um, and I also know when they're a doctor's delivering information, they're kind of giving you almost worst case scenario. And so, um, and I also know a lot of times when they're like kind of giving you something, it's like, yeah, dude, wear that because you need to protect yourself because you can't have an accident. I mean, it doesn't mean I can't take it off and be careful. Hmm. Um, so I'm probably going to like go against the rules a little bit when it comes to the doctor, because like, um, I feel I have a really good mind to body awareness and I'm really in touch with my own body and my own self, my own limits. And so, um, and I've had other injuries, unfortunately, that has helped me with that and to know my body and to know about PT and rehab. And like, there's a difference between like feeling uncomfortable and pain. Like, you know, you don't want to do PT to the point where it's painful. Right. But you could do it. So it's, it's going to be uncomfortable. That's just how it is. You got to work through and get these range of motions back that you lost. Like, like my, my arm went to like toothpick side in the past month. Like yeah. I'm literally like lost a bunch of like muscle already. And so, but I'll work on building that up. And so, you know, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I listen to the doctor, but I'm still going to do what I do. And hopefully I'm doing it and like not doing more damage, you know, I mean, I, I don't have an ACL. Like, so I've had these different injuries in the past where like, I really rely on my own inner energy, my own mind. Like, you know, I had an ACL that I blew out in the mountains and my knee buckled all the way back from skiing. And like, I was told to get like ACL surgery by several doctors. One said, Hey man, just let you know, there's people without them. So now I don't have one because like someone told me not all people have it. And so, um, I went and did the work and to not have an ACL and I actually walked across Alaska like a month later. And I did the same thing with like my ankle and I've had, I've also had surgeries. So like I've come out of those from doctor's orders and that's just experienced stuff and really me knowing myself and not being scared of these certain situations or feelings. You know, the first time you have a break, every little thing you're going to be worried about every little feeling. Yeah. But as you have breaks, you know, that there's this feeling that's going to happen. And it's almost like the same with bike pack. Like I relate so much to my racing, right. And what I do long distance wise, it's like so many people are familiar with like three and four and five days and how that feels pushing mm. themselves. Many people have that people can take holidays, vacation, weekend warriors, and you can experience an event pushing your own body, however, whatever that means to you. But now you could become familiar with this space of what, okay, what it, what it means to push for three days, what it means to push for four, five, not many people can afford the time to get beyond that. Right. Yeah. In reality. And so yeah. then, so then we start these, so then we have this like 
just like let's use it as an example bucket list event tour divide bucket list everybody wants to do it mm -hmm. but they all have these experiences with three four and five days then you do that now all of a sudden your body is doing something different on six seven and eight that you're just unfamiliar with you're nervous about it you're scared about it you don't know how to deal with it you don't know how to back off and so you enter that and then we're like how you react to it the first time you have that experience is different than how you react to it the second, third, fourth, tenth time you've had that experience. And um, that's the same thing with like me going through my injuries. I've had some experience, familiar with these feelings. It's not freaking great, but it is what it is. So now how do you get through it? On day five of an event, day six, like my Achilles and knees hurt just like everyone else's. I don't, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to get through it because I've been through it before and just like, no, be, oh, yeah, this is going to be a shitty day because yeah. this hurts. Okay. Ben here, I need to get to day seven. So it doesn't hurt anymore. Um, and I think it's the same thing with a recovery process. Yeah. Um, but I do so much like com uh, comparison and just like analogies that way. Um, Cause it's I my life. Too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I relate to almost everything through, uh, you know, endurance efforts for us. It's usually bikepacking. Uh, you know, the, then you can draw a lot of analogies between, you know, the, the effort of life and the struggles that life will throw at you and the curveballs that life will throw at you. And, and the same thing that when you plan a 3000 mile bike ride, things are going to go wrong or a 500 mile bike ride. It really doesn't matter, but, uh, it, it, it rarely goes perfectly and it does teach you patience. It teaches you attrition and it teaches you to rely on yourself, which is a tie into what we're talking about here is, and, and if I hear what you're saying correctly, it's like, there's two things. There's one, there's like, yeah, there's the doctor's advice. So you're listening to your doctor, but then you're also listening to yourself, you know, and, and it's something my, my father passed away from, from cancer about 12 years ago. And he went to a doctor, many doctors over years and was like, Hey, there's something wrong with me. And the doctors kind of blew him off and blew him off. And they didn't finally, until like two years after going to the doctor, they finally diagnosed him with diagnosed him with stage four cancer. And one of the things I took away from that was to be your best advocate. Like, you know what's going on inside your body. And doctors have great information. I'm not blaming the doctors or anything. It's like, but they they have one prism that they're looking at your injuries and you as a human through. But the other factor here is like, you know you and you know yourself and you know your body better than anybody else. And unfortunately for you with, with injuries, you know what it's like to recover from injuries too. And so it sounds like you're, you know, taking both information and, and, and doing the best you can with it. Yeah. It's a way of life really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like around every single turn. Uh, What's more challenging, uh, riding the tour divide or uh, dealing with insurance companies? Dude, the insurance is ugly. Like, uh, like that's a mess. Like, it's not, it's not a fun piece of this whole thing. And I don't know if people realize that. Um, and it's like starting to come out. Like, right? Like, I'm having to start to deal with it. Like, 
I've seen some doctors. I've been in the hospital, you know, like yeah. stuff's coming in the mail. I'm getting the phone calls, right? Like, and it's, and it's the only the beginning. Um, and it's not, it's not a good part at all, honestly. And it, and it honestly kind of sucks. Our system sucks. Um, and you don't realize how much so until you're in the situation. And then when you think you have insurance and how much it doesn't really cover, or when you think like, yeah, but like, it's not my fault. Like I didn't like, it's, it's clearly on the police report that it wasn't my fault. You know, the kid got charged, he got a ticket, but like his medical insurance isn't covering me. Like, right. Like, and so there's this, or what about his auto insurance, you know? Yeah. What about his auto insurance? And like, you know, most people run around with the minimum liability policy which is like, like, you know, that wouldn't cover, you know, that wouldn't cover barely a trip to the ER for a, for an abrasion on your knee. Yeah. You know, so the scale of it just doesn't work in an accident like this, you know, his coverage isn't working for me. Um, and that sucks. Um, and even for like, like damages to property. Like I had a custom bike built. We all know what this stuff costs. Um, and you know, none of it's cheap, but like, you know, his property damage doesn't cover, doesn't meet to like what even my bike is worth. Yeah. And like, you know, where does that come down to me? So I have to like fight through my insurances to have this done. Like it's just, it, it, the system's like, it's, it's horrible. And then when you talk about like, yeah, I got lost time. I'm losing time from work. I've had to cancel trips. Like I'm delayed on this like remodel that I'm doing. I'm having to spend more money than I need to be spending right now. It all starts to add up. At first you're like, ah, yeah, but like, no, every time, like, you know, I'm spending money right now. I'm not making money. And like just the whole thing of it, all the logistics, all that stuff starts to add up. And it's like, it's a bummer. I mean, you know, because like the person at fault isn't really going to have anything to deal with, honestly. I'll have to deal with all this, but the kid deals with nothing. Um, And it's super frustrating. And that's where I can start to get frustrated and mad and angry. And like, you know, like, is there any even compensation for this? Like, is my back going to be injured forever? Am I done? Like, I don't know, but like, I'm not going to like get anything for any of this. Like, you know, it's a bummer. Like, you know, and like, you know, I, I can't like go off and talk too much about it. And of course I've had to hire an attorney because it's a mess and all that stuff. Like, this is not a fun part for me. Like I, I didn't want to do this. I don't want to be doing this. Like, no. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it's the ugly part, uh, but it's the reality part too. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, I, <laughs> I fortunately have not ever had to deal with anything on the scale that you are. Um, but the reason I asked the question, it, it wasn't in jest. Uh, I, I'm aware of how terrible our system is, uh, whether it's auto insurance or medical insurance. And I'm well aware that, I mean, I don't know your financial situation, but most Americans, if they're caught in a situation like this, um, 
it's not good. I mean, why, why, you know, everybody is goes to GoFundMe. I mean, there's these memes that are around, right? It's like our, our insurance policy, our medical insurance policy in America is GoFundMe, you know, because we don't have the insurance, uh, that, it, uh, that is willing to cover us. We have all the medical care in the world. Um, but getting it paid for is a huge, huge issue in our society and in the American system. Um, and I know that you're dealing with it and I don't know exactly to what degree. Um, but I wanted to, I, I wanted to reach out on behalf of the community and, and open the door to say, Hey, is there anything that we can do for you? Is there anything that, uh, we as a community can do through this, this period of recovery for you? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like this has just come up this past week and it's not like, this is not a, this is a hard part for me because I'm not good at asking for help. One, I'm not good at asking for help in general. <laughs> um, and I'm certainly not good for asking for like, when it comes to financial, like I am, call me a little old school, if you will. Like I've been going to the bank for years and borrowing money. Like, it's just how it is. Like I've opened up businesses and I go to the bank and like, whatever, like, that's just how it is. Um, and I've never really understood, uh, these different platforms for raising money, honestly. Um, and it's just because I've never been in a situation I've just always done my own thing. Um, when it comes to financial and then this past week, like I've been approached by several people and some good friends and they're just like, Hey Jay, like I've had someone like, dude, is there a GoFundMe around and this and that. And I've been asked and, and I had an event happen this past week and they're like, oh, Jay, we're doing this gravel event, dude, you've been so great. We want to help raise some money. And like, I'm just like caught in this place. And I'm just like, and someone's like, well, I'll start that. I'm like, I, and it's like, it's nothing that, uh, you know, I'm not going to start a GoFundMe for me. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so when I'm asked, it's just like, I ignore the subject. It's just kind of weird for me. Um, but this past week, it's certainly been a topic for sure. And like, I'm also realizing at this point, like it's an outlet that I'm going to need is what it comes down to. Um, and I need to accept that. I mean, besides being like, accepting like that, this kid just like, ran me over and like really changed my life. Like now I need to accept like, yep, I can't do all the chores at my house. I can't finish my building projects. I can't even like think about work because I'm so distracted and like, okay, what's next? I got to take care of myself. Well, you know, then there's this other financial piece. Like, um, and, and so like, that's just kind of, I'm going in circles here, but like, yeah, Patrick, like I'm in that space now. And like, I don't know like where that's going to sit and where that goes. Um, I have a feeling like something's going to pop up. Um, I just, it's like I said, it's not, I'm not comfortable asking for help that way. And yeah. like, I'm not going to like be the one that like, um, initiates you know, it. <laughs> initiates. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, so I totally anyway. relate to that. I think, I think most people relate to that. I hope I, you know, especially in this space of solo self supported, right? Like I, I don't think any of us are, are too quick to pick up the phone and, and ask for help. One thought I had as you were speaking is like, I, I was thinking about the other things that we accept as cyclists 
that we have no control over. And one of them is the infrastructure, you know, cycling infrastructure, the lack thereof, uh, laws to protect cyclists, laws to punish motorists for hitting cyclists. And we, you know, these are all like, as I talk about them on the podcast, like there, there's these things that we just have to accept. This is the world we live in. And, and as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about, you know, like, yes, I hear what you're saying, but also, yes, you are doing what you loved in a world and a system that was set up not by you. And the insurance stuff isn't your fault. You know, like you really are a hundred percent, a victim here on every single level. And asking for help is never fun, but also like, it's not like you put yourself in this position. You didn't go out and do something reckless. You didn't, um, I don't know. <laughs> you didn't do anything wrong is what I'm saying, you know? And so it, it is, it is hard to see like you having to carry the brunt of everything when you're only a victim of circumstance and a system that we all live in. We're all, we could all be Jay Petterberry or Peterberry. I see I did it again, <laughs> uh, but we could, we're all cyclists. We're all vulnerable. Any one of us could hit by a car, get hit by a car and be in your exact same position. And so I, I very much relate to what you're saying being I'm 43, I'm a little bit older and I like, I'm a little old school too. And I couldn't imagine, um, you know, I grew up in a generation like my mommy and daddy didn't give me a penny. You know, they kicked me out of the house at 17. They're like, good luck, buddy. I hope you land on your feet, you know, and <laughs> you got to figure it out, man. There's no golden parachute. There's no, there's no bailout. There's no get out of free jail card. Um, so I understand your struggle. I understand what you're going through, but I can tell you as a member of the community, and I think I speak for many of us, I'm sure a lot of us would like to help, uh, you on your path to recovery. And, and, and it's just like a small thing that we can do to, to help, you know, and the same way. And I think in some ways we do it for us, right? Because like we see us and you and whenever a member of our community is struggling, I think this community does a very good job of like trying to help and step in and um, I'll echo what other people have said. You've done a lot. You've given a lot to this sport and this community. And so um, wherever you land on that is up to you, but that's my two cents. Yeah, no, thanks. I appreciate it for sure. Like I said, it's just like, it's hitting home. It's a current topic. Um, yeah. But, uh, All right, well, but, we'll see where you know, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and it's like the other side to it too, like uh, you were just starting to mention like uh, the infrastructure and all that and the safety and like, you know, I'm not necessarily done with the project either, you know, and I don't know what, what it's going to be moving forward. Um, you know, I, I can't just kind of abandon the ride, um, and the project in general. Um, and I don't know what that means. Like, you know, there, there were so many moving pieces with the project. Um, and a lot of them were, had me really excited, whether it was like, you know, the new idea behind the bike and the setup. And that's always super interesting to me. But then, you know, the sharing the film component with being it self, uh, uh, self shot and, um, bringing out all this history of the route and the people out there and ACA adventure cycling association, like all that was super meaningful. And then being involved with the be good foundation and raising like a bunch of money for scholarships to give away. And that's still like, you know, that's like something we need to do a call out for now is like for, um, applicants to apply. Um, you know, we raised well over $10,000, 
And so that money is just be like being given away for scholarships. And we like, we want people to apply. We're like, it doesn't matter whether it's you know, like you want to achieve a backyard ride or go to an event or, you know, sky's the limit. It could be as small or as big as doing something as uh, the great divide route or whatever. And we can help with that, whether it's like um, a financial with the um, equipment or travel or whatever it is. Um, so, you know, and that we got to kind of close up. That's part of the project, right? Like, but the fundraising is kind of like dwindling down. We're closing at the end of this month and then we're taking the applications and then we want to give that money away in the next, you know, month or so. Um, so that's a piece of it, but it's coming to an end, but like, I, I still don't find closure in the project. And so it's like, I don't know what this is going to be. Like I was saying earlier for next year, but I'm already excited about building a new bike. I'm going to get an, another frame and already have some things I'm working on to change it. Cause that's my fun time and space. Um, and then just to kind of, I don't know, but I, I, this accident is certainly making me think about like, well, maybe this is another opportunity to raise awareness for something else. And, and, and maybe it is like some sort of bike safety and like, you know, pay attention. And like, I don't, I'm not saying like, we don't know what this uh, kid was distracted with. Obviously there was a, some sort of negligence there, but like, whether it's like, I don't know, was he on his phone? Like, like certainly that's a big problem uh, today with uh, drivers. Um, and, and maybe I can like, I, I don't know, I'm just kind of going on a tangent here, but like, um, in general, I'm not doing the project and I don't know what it's going to lead to, but I would love to like continue on and bring awareness to something else uh, that's bigger and greater uh, than anything else. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, let's, let's have you like talk us through the accident. Um, I know from reading that you were conscious the entire time. And yeah, sure. I know, I know I, I reached out to my patrons and asked them to, you know, to send in their questions for you. And, um, I, I think the overriding question here is what happened and what can we learn from this, if anything? Um, but you know, I want to give you the platform to take us through that day, take us through the, those moments. Um, what happened? Yeah, sure. Um, actually it was, I was having a great day. I woke up, uh, I woke up at the bottom of uh, Boris Pass in Breckenridge that morning. I just had a big day cutting through Colorado, actually. I finished up late, get to a hotel at like 2 a.m. or something. But it was right at the base of Boris Pass. And I actually like, I waited for the Continental Breakfast to open and just kind of destroyed that. You know, it was kind of actually a little fancy of a place for me for <laughs> a divide uh, hotel, but um, it worked out well. Um, and so I had that. I climbed Boris Pass. I get to the top. It's like splitter day. It's classic Colorado. It's like one of the better days. I was being challenged pretty good for the two weeks I was out there. But that day was gorgeous. Get to the top. Uh, just kind of like doing some self-documenting uh, and changing some clothes because I'm on top of the pass. And then um, actually Eddie Clark comes pulling up, you know, classic. You know, he was going to do some shots and things. And so... Uh, he actually leapfrogged me down into Como, which was about uh, 30 miles away. And so basically just a big descent and awesome. And like in that terrain, once you, once you pop over Boris or Boris pass and then go down, you enter kind of like this, uh, this big, I guess it's, I don't know, it wouldn't be a Valley, but it's a, like kind of a big high desert area. It's like sagebrush 
It's super wind. It can generally be windy. It's uh, big views, big line of sight because there's not big trees. Like I said, it's all sage land and then um, surrounded by mountains, but views um, and fast moving terrain in general. I really like this area. Um, and then uh, get down to Hartzell, um, which is just like basically it's a cafe and a gas station stop. And that's Hartzell, the town, right? And it's actually on 24, so a major highway. Uh, people, people that have ridden the route will argue and say that 24 is absolutely a dangerous road to be on, which it is. It has since now you're not on it quite as long. You used to be on it for about four miles. And it's like definitely like it's a sketchy road to be on um, for sure. Um, and so nowadays you're only, you're on it for like barely maybe a half a mile and they kind of have you skeeter around, which is nice. It was the first time I rode it that year. And I was like, ah, this is kind of nice. I'm glad this is off this road for a change, you know, and obviously <laughs> I've ridden it in the past. Like I know the route, get to Hartzell, um, favorite cafe. You know, I, I always have like these memories of being there in the past and stuff. And like, even earlier, I was like, Hey Eddie, I'm going to go. And like, I'm grabbing lunch in Hartzell. If you wanted to like meet up there, be cool. Maybe do an interview or something. And, um, so sure enough, like sat down with Eddie, had a burger, did an interview, whatever. And then I was like, all right, Eddie, peace out. Thanks. Cool. Thanks for the photos. And, uh, and actually even during the interview, it'd be fun to kind of see the footage, but like, I even say, oh, yeah, it's like a great day. I'm stoked. I'm having a five-star, you know, can't wait to get to Salida. And, like, I even pre-booked a room, like, um, uh, further away. Like, I booked a room, like, miles away. And I was like, ah, I might get there at 2 a.m. And he's like, really? You're going to get there? I was like, I'll get there. And, like, so I'm just, like, I'm flowing. I'm having, like, a good day. Yeah. And, like, I have a big burger in my belly i leave at like noon one o'clock or something and i'm like all right see ya and i got like a bit of a tailwind you go across and then you're on a dirt road again and it's just like good moving terrain um and like i said it's sage like you could see forever and like i'm just starting to get in my groove you know maybe an hour in or something and i can remember kind of either being in my drops were in my arrow bars. I was definitely like, I was moving fast at this point, had a bit of a tailwind, good dirt. Um, actually it rained ahead of me. The sun was out now, but it just rained like a little classic thunderstorm, but like the road was good and tight. And, um, I was just down cruising. And then the next thing, you know, I just like, I just remember like, like a big noise. Um, and kind of like an explosion, like that lasted like a split second. That's all I could remember from that. And then I miss, I don't remember the seconds in between, but I remember sliding on my eye and my head. And so that was like the end result. I don't know the seconds that took place in between. I don't know if I flipped. I don't know if I flipped with my bike, but in the end, I was, I was away from my bike. My bike was way ahead of the car, and then I was way ahead of my bike. So I don't know how that happened. And it's, it's, it's certainly something to think about and, you know, just kind of, you know, whatever, call it fire talk or something. But, like, well, like what happened? Like, was I on it? Was I flipped on it? Because you look at my bike, and you're like, what in the heck happened there? Um, because the bike is just destroyed. Um, and he didn't run over the bike either. So 
and then I'm separated from that. And like I said, I remember sliding on my face and then just like kind of like on the side of the room, curling up and just like screaming, like, what the fuck happened? And like, um, I knew my hand was like a bag of rocks. You know, I mean, I've broken wrist before. Like I knew I couldn't move that. My eye was already puffed shut. It was packed with gravel. I couldn't see. The very first thing I thought was like, wow, I'm losing an eye. That's literally what I first thought. I was just like on the side of the road. I was like, wow. Like in the back of my head, I'm losing an eye. Sweet. And then like, couldn't feel this. And I couldn't move because of my back. And then I knew my right shoulder was a mess too. So like when you can't move both arms or your back, like you're pretty like messed. Like I can move my legs and thank God I'm super happy for that. But there was a big chunk taken out of my leg that I get stitches in. And I was, I was just bruised up. And like, I just, you know, and this happened so quick. And then like, I'm kind of like screaming a bit and their their kid behind me like was yelling you got hit by a car you're gonna be all right you got hit by a car you're gonna be all right and then like he made a phone call and then uh and like i said a 16 year old kid so like he called his dad and then there was like some bystanders that stopped so now things are just kind of like moving forward bystander stops there's another person there um and then his dad showed up and he was some sort of like first responder medical guy type. And then they called ambulance. And by this time, there's probably about four or five people there. And like, I'm kind of like, I had to get out of the road. I'm starting to be in like some pretty hard pain. They put me in the back of the car. I start being very adamant about like, I need everything. I need everything. You need to gather all my belongings. I was being pretty loud and demanding that I needed everything and people look around because I was like, you guys don't understand. Like, I'm not from here. I don't live here. This is my, all I have. I've been on the road for two weeks. I need all my equipment and clothes and everything. They're like, well, that bike is pretty messy. I was like, I want everything. Um, and so the one bystander guy kind of like gathered my stuff. I seen my pack. And then I was being like admin, even about my GoPro. And like, I seen all this stuff like down at my feet. And um, I was like, okay, okay. And somebody was taking some pictures and taking some phone numbers and stuff. And so, and then I just finally got moved into the ambulance and like uh, everything made it. Unfortunately, like my GoPro never made it. Um, you know, we kind of combed through the ambulance. I did like, I went to all like uh, lost and found and ambulance and calling up the firehouse because they took my bike away. And um but anyway, so they just, they rolled me to um, uh, Colorado Springs uh, Memorial Hospital. So just like a level one style emergency. Um, and then, you know, on the way to the hospital, like now I'm in good hands. I'm in the ambulance. They started giving me some like painkiller. I was pretty messed up. And then I kind of asked one of them to kind of dial my wife. And I was able to kind of like from there, just like let Tracy know. I didn't know. I just knew I needed to let somebody know and I needed to let my wife know. And I wasn't going to let her know while I was on the side of the road, just sitting there. So when I was in the ambulance, at least she knew I was in some sort of safety. Um, and I just had them call and immediately I was just like, first things first, Trace, like I'm alive and talking, but I'm not all right. And I was just like, I got fucking plowed over. I'm pretty messed up um and then i have some friends out that way um that were notified and actually one of my good friends derek was he was at the hospital before i was even there 
Um, and then they just kind of t- take you through the loops, man. It's like going through the ER rooms, kind of a mess, man. They're just like pulling on you, poking you, sending you through CT scans. And they had to straighten out my wrist, like old school style before they could even do anything. And that was like super weird. And, um, yeah, it was just like, it happens all so fast and, um, it's super intense, man. Like, whoa. And then like the next day I'm in the hospital, like waking up or whatever and being disgusted. You got this broke, that broke. You need to have this done and this. And they didn't feed me because we we're waiting on surgery. And I'm already like in a huge deficit from riding t- two weeks, like pushing limits. I'm already light and like losing weight. And I was like starving. And then it was like, finally they're like okay no surgery and i was like are you kidding me like you strung me out for this long and then like so my buddy's in there and he like ordered me like three cheeseburgers and french fries and like i'm just sitting there but what's crazy is is like like food came and i was like dude like i can't feed myself Um, like literally like i couldn't move my arm and i was like this is a reality like i literally can't raise a hand in my mouth I was like, Derek, you got to feed me, dude. And like, this was nuts. And like, I was just like, that hit home pretty hard, you know? And like, what's crazy is the next day I had my humerus pinned and fixed. And like, right after surgery, I was like, almost able to get it to my mouth. And that's like, pretty crazy. Like, the difference, you know, like go through surgery, put the plate in there and like screws, like two hours later, I'm like, I'm almost moving again. 24 hours later i was feeding myself and so i was like whoa okay and like the big thing is too like you can laugh at this stuff but like a big thing is is like being able to like take care of yourself and wipe yourself right like so like you know feeding's one thing but like doing that's like another like you don't want to ask someone to do that like it's kind of a nightmare of humans right um um, but yeah it was like it was like it's it's still really all surreal and Going to pick up my bike afterwards was like, whoa, that was an emotional moment for sure. Um, and then even today, like, I think I'm finally, I had a, somebody visit me uh, the other day and uh, I'm kind of in my man cave here office and the bike is here and it's a mess. And the first thing he looks at, he's like, dude, are you going to put that thing away? He's like, when are you like, put that thing away. And like the whole time he's here, he just was like, do you need help? Do you have a box? You're going to put that thing away? And like, <laughs> And I just wasn't letting ready to let it go, I guess, or something. And like, he's right. It's like, I just need to get that thing on my site at this point. <laughs> um, you know, because of what gonna, it represents. Put it away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, what did the kid say? What did he have a, a reason? Was he apologetic? Was he like, did he explain from his point of view what happened why did he hit you how did he hit you because i would say I think it, you you described pretty... it but the i like i looked on track leaders and from what i can tell like like you said sagebrush uh it looked like the road was straight it looked like visibility oh. was totally fine oh. this totally. is this is the horror of what we're talking about is like this is the part that's scary is like, this could be anybody, anybody riding on a random dirt road with good visibility, who's got decades worth of experience riding their bikes safely smash. What the I fuck? Was, uh, I would describe it as like the safest place I could have been, honestly. Yeah. And like, when you think about it, you're like, okay, like there's like huge line of sight. So like, 
I'm thinking like, this kid would have seen me a mile out. This kid would have seen me three quarters of a mile out. He would have seen me a half a mile out. He would have seen me a quarter mile out. He would have seen me a hundred yards out. He would have seen me 20 yards out. So what was this kid doing all during this time? Like, there's a lot of moments to see me, right? And then you react, right? You see pedestrian, you're on a quiet country road. Like there's no rushing. There's not traffic lights. You're not in the middle of the city where everyone's buzzing around going like there's plenty of time. There's not a car coming towards you. Like, like it's pretty clear. Like he never let off the gas for one, <laughs> like, and who knows how fast he was going. Um, and like, to swerve, like to swerve around me would have been easy enough too. Um, but that didn't happen. So like when I was in the car and kind of like, I was like stable, like they stabilized me while I'm waiting for the um, ambulance. And literally like, I just see this kid. Right. And I'm just like, dude, man, like fucking like, look at me. I was like, do you see what you did? And, you know, he just kind of like, was just like a little bit like, like shy and like kind of like turned away and it was just like there was like a mumble of a sorry and like kind of like i tried to swerve but i swerved the wrong way and it was like swerve the wrong way okay like fuck i like i i don't even know what to say or do at that point like you know i'm just trying to like you know do i i mean and i can't like make an excuse for the kid either like what's it your frontal lobes not that developed like I mean, I know that's an issue and stuff, but I'm like, I'm not going to blame it on that. Like, fuck, like you fucking plowed me over, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Your, your frontal lobes don't impact your eyesight or your ability to swerve left or right, you know, <laughs> or just slow down, like, I mean, or slow I mean, down. Like, yeah. Like, a lot of I, options I there. Yeah. So it's like, you know, so like there wasn't a lot of reaction from, them. I haven't heard any correspondence. Um, I don't suspect I will. You know, the kid will get a slap on the wrist and probably lose his license six to a year for careless driving. And that's about it. And that's how our system works. And I get fucking, I got to deal with like a pile of stuff between like being hurt. Don't know if I'm going to be hurt down the road. Disruption in life. Like, and then you think about like, it, it, it gets ugly, man. Like, you know, I have a wife here, you know, that's taking care of me and like disrupting. It's unfair to her. Like she's got to go on bike ride. Like, oh yeah, it sucked. Like, Jay, I wanted you to go for a bike ride today with me. Like, I can't do that right now. Like, besides yeah. everything else. And she's tough and she's awesome and all that stuff. But like uh, everything that it affects and just the compound effects of everything is it's it's pretty insane. <laughs> yeah. It it the the system that we have as it relates to the relationship between cyclist and motorist is is horrific at best um and we're just lucky that we can sit here and have a conversation with you because a lot of times what's happening is we're having these conversations about you know so and you know x y and z you know other people who have died and and you see that people get off with with a slap on the wrist sometimes there's not even a ticket you know your guy got a ticket he might lose his license for a couple months and it, it just, I think I, I, there's no happy bow here. There's not a happy, Hey, guess what we learned? And we can all like come together as a community and feel good and move forward. And this is what we got to do. It, it's more of just a horrific and, uh, and a gut wrenching reality 
that this is the system that we have and this is the risk that we assume as cyclists and we are vulnerable um, both from a physical standpoint, but also from like insurance to the law. Like we are completely vulnerable and we are the victim at every single stage. And I don't know any way to put a happy bow on that, but it's, it's just like a reality check. Like we are cyclists. This can happen. I don't know. Do you have any other... <laughs> Do you have a happy bow or any thoughts on like what is a community? No, man. Like honestly, it's just like I mean, I have to just accept it. Like sucks. life is not fair. Yeah. Like life is not fair. Like you know, I was talking to a real good friend, known me for years, and like he's known some stuff I've been through and just my childhood and everything. And I'm just like, man, like life isn't fair, and this is like not the first time life hasn't been fair to me. Um, and it sucks. You know, like my wife has a harder time accepting that than I do. I think like, you know, she wants to know about like what happened and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I'd like to know, but like, it doesn't help. It's not going to do anything. Yeah. It, like, um, and it's just, yeah, it's not fair. And like, well, well, <laughs> sometimes that's what it is. Like, you know, uh -huh. I can't fight it. I can't fix it. There's, there's not a band aid. Um, there's none of that. I just accept it and move on. And there again, if I want to make analogies to like my racing, it's the same thing. Like, you know, you go on these big journeys and like, sometimes it pours, pours rain the whole time. That's what that is. You know, yeah. <laughs> sometimes you push your bike, sometimes you break your bike and you have all these things that are unfortunate circumstances and you just have to get through with them. And like, sometimes there is no reason why that happened. And you can't clobber yourself by trying to figure out why, but instead you got to fix the problem and move on and get down the road. Yeah. Um, and that's all I could do right now is just like, I just have to get down the road and okay, <laughs> three months yeah. from now, that's going to be better than now. Six months from now is going to be better than now. Um, you know, give myself some carrots and small goals and things like that. You know, the basic stuff. Yeah. What, um, what was your relationship with being a cyclist and and interacting with cars prior to this? Because I think like as cyclists, we all have a narrative that we tell ourselves. We all inherently know that this is dangerous. We know that it's a possibility we could get hit. What was your relationship with with that prior to getting hit? Yeah, great question. Like, um, you know, I grew up back east on bikes not racing bikes, but BMX bikes getting around like super comfortable in cities, New York city, bumping cars, things like that. And like, you know, just like it never worried me to be on the roads and things. And then like blooming into like a cyclist and things like that. Um, you know, twenties, thirties, whatever road riding, no big deal. Didn't care about it. It never bothered me when conversations started coming up in the past, like call it 10 plus years of like, dude, aren't you worried about riding on the road? Like I still, it still never bothered me. And I know it bothered, like, that's like becoming more and more of a topic, people not riding on roads and why gravel so popular, this, that, and the other thing. And, um, and honestly, like it's only started bothering me the past handful of years, but like, you know, I still pop up and over Teton pass, which people are like, really you go up there. That's crazy, dude. Like, but when I'm by myself, I feel so much better. Like, because then I'm only responsible for myself. I don't like riding with other people on the road, but I'm super comfortable by myself. Um, and so, and I've done some road ultras. Um, 
for sure. And I've, I actually time trialed the Ram route once race across America. I did a bike packing style while the race was going on. And I was like, that was the craziest thing I've ever done. Like literally like, cause then I had people like approach me and be like, dude, you think that should be a bike packer? I'm like, no, it's absolutely terrible. The roads they put you on is like, it's crazy. Now I understand why they have to have vehicles behind them. And I'm like, that was like a dangerous thing for me. Like I almost died several times. I'm sleep deprived. So, you know, and that was like, this is like way early. This is probably before 2010. So quite a while ago, but, um, and I've done some other road ultras after that. Um, and then, you know, I did route 66 was a road ultra once it was a bike pack ultra route 66 from Chicago to Santa Monica pier. Um, that was a crazy ride. I almost died. Like it felt like a couple of times I was like, don't ever do this. And like early on when I time trialed Ram, actually, I had somebody reach out to me and it was actually Nathan who started the trans trans am trans American race. Um, which is arguably the first like bikepacking road ultra. And he called me after he knew I did Ram and he was like, dude, what do you think about some road bikepacking? And I was like, dude, man, I think it's dangerous. I wouldn't promote it. I was like, I'm not promoting that shit. I was like, dude, you have type A's like me that are there to rip each other's legs off and competing at a front end on public roads. I was like, bad formula, bro. I was like, people mm. are going to die. And that was like how I ended the conversation with Nathan and whatever down the road. And like, now we have, road ultras and granted people have died. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a fact. And so like, I, and I kind of moved away from that space and like, I had, I had big desires to do, um, transcontinental my calls race. And so I'm talking to him that year and I was like, I think I'm going to come out this year and do this. And, um, and unfortunately it was the same year that Mike died. So I was ready to go do transcontinental that year. Mike passed away. It hit me pretty hard. And I was like, fuck. And I made an agreement to my wife and to my sponsor at the time. So also a really good marketing manager of mine uh, years ago from Salsa. Uh, my, uh, he was like, he, he gave me a phone call. And he's like, dude, man, like you have nothing to prove. Like, please don't do road ultras. And like, I got that phone call from him and my wife. And I was like, I won't do any road ultras, I swear. <laughs> and so like, um, I made that agreement. I was like, yeah, I don't want to die that way. Um, and I also been the person that's like, I'm probably going to die on a bike because of the amount of time I spend on a bike. Like, right. There's some, there's ratios there. Like, um, and I live in the mountains and like, I know people that ski backcountry every single day. And like, you know, your, your, your chances go up and I've had friends die in the mountains that way. And so like, I'm not afraid to like face that either. Like Jay, if you spend all this time on the road, like chances are like you might end up going that way. But anyway, that's a weird thought, but I'm also not afraid to face that kind of stuff and just talk about it. Um, but anyway, so through the years I've been comfortable, but I've also said, I'm not going to do this. So I'm pretty comfortable on the road. And I also used to be that person that like, wouldn't use a rear light because I didn't want people seeing me, my competitors and like just weird stuff. Um, and now I'm like the guy that uses like several lights, wants to have reflectives, like stuff on my bike. Like it's changed for sure. Like Hmm. my safety on the road has gone up. Um, my conscious has like, it's definitely plugging in more. I don't know if it's just like, because I've gotten older and I'm not quite, I value my life more. And like, uh, you know, when you're younger, you think you're indestructible and like, you know, those are definitely my hardcore racing days as well. Um, but you know, so comfortable in general with being on road systems. Um, and I think I practice pretty good etiquette as well. Like I'm definitely like the person that's like on the road, always telling like my buddy, Hey, get over. 
um, things like that. I'm just like very conscious of that. Um, and I'm not one that like drifts down only stares at my wheel. I actually teach people to look around, like enjoy your surroundings. It's another way to enjoy your ride. Um, besides being safe. Um, I don't use earbuds because like, I don't like taking a sense, one of my important senses away from like what I'm doing. Um, and so it's a reason I don't wear earbuds. Um, so I don't know. I've always felt comfortable. And like now, like, honestly, like, yeah, I've thought about like, how am I going to feel now getting on that bike? That's the next question. Am I going to be, <laughs> am I going to be going like this every 10 minutes and looking behind me? Am I going to get a Vira or one of those Garmin like things? Absolutely. Um, but like, I don't know, you know, I got, um, <laughs> I've had some backcountry skiing experiences. Like I've been caught in an avalanche before I've been buried up to my chest and like, I've just had some different accidents in the mountains. And like, after that time that I got buried, like for years, especially skiing by myself, I was constantly looking back, just like looking uphill, like just worried about that snow. And like, I don't think I'm going to be that way on the bike, but I don't know either. Hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, man i'm at a loss because this is like a this is like a big topic that i think we all grapple with as cyclists to different degrees and like you know my call was a, a really pivotal moment i think in a lot of our lives where we asked questions looked inside how do we feel about this uh, you know how do i feel about me going out and exposing myself in this way and then to have you get hit uh by a motorist and you're you're hit in the afternoon on a full belly you just saw your friend you're in good visibility you practice um, cycling etiquette and cycling safety ever since you got hit i've i've noticed that i've had an uptick in my own awareness and my own uncomfortability with being around vehicles and i don't know what to do with that you know like i don't I, I, re, I, I relate to what you were saying. About, like, I, I've been a cyclist since I was four. Well, I don't know when I turned into a cyclist, but I started riding bikes at four, and it's just been a part of my yeah. life for my entire life. And I, I grew up riding around cars and traffic, and I, I know that it's a risk, but when you start to see people that you look up to who you know of have years and decades of experience under their belt um, that are either getting hit or hit and killed... It, it it's scary, man. And it's like, what do, what do we do as cyclists to overcome that fear? Because we're not going to change the system. We're not going to get phones out of people's hands. We're not going to change the laws, probably. I mean, nothing is going to happen with any immediacy, at least, right? Um, so I don't know. It's it just, it is, it's that, you have two things that I feel like you have to recover from. One, physically, but two, Mentally, like how do you mentally allow yourself the freedom and the luxury of being able to go out and ride your bike and enjoy it and not look over your shoulder every 30 seconds or whatever it may be? Yeah, it's like I said, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I'll Are you worried about it? Are you worried uh, about what your mindset will be or? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, especially because yeah. it is like, you know, it's definitely like 
it's my medicine. You know, I need to ride bikes. You know, like, um, it's my outlet. It's my creative space. It's, it's a lot of things. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun thing for me. It's like, it's not the living I used to like make it. And actually I'm thankful for that because I enjoy it even more so, but, um, it's, it's just really interesting. And I, and I don't know, it's like, you know, there's also, you know, maybe I got to look at it in a way of like, sometimes it's good not to know things, right? Like, you know, uh, you know, instead of like, and when do we uh, are, when do we know everything anyway? Right. We like think we know things. (laughs) You thought you were going to finish that ride. I mean, you know, but like how much control do we have all the time anyway? And yeah, it's a deeper philosophical question, but yeah, not knowing the answer maybe is, well, it is what it is. So it has to be okay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think the important thing is everybody, I think, I I don't want to scare anyone, but I, I think that it's a good reminder or a bad reminder. It is a reminder of the reality of what we do and, and one of the potential outcomes. And ultimately I think that it's important that every person has the conversation with themselves, the way that you have, the way that you will continue to, and you have to be aware of that. And, and ultimately it comes down to you. It's the same way as your relationship with your doctor. Like you're in control of your body and your brain and it's kind of up to you where you land on how you want to use it. Um, but these are realities that cyclists need to be aware of. I think, you know, as sad and horrific and fucked up as it is, that is actually the way it is, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it's funny. Like I could just like tell stories and this and that was like, you know, I'm doing the ride and I'm like, Oh yeah. And that night that I had a ride over, uh, into, into Butte and go over, um, there's lava mountain is what it's called. And it's this super rocky, heinous kind of road on the divide that kind of spits you down into Butte. And it's like a big mountain pass. And it's just, it's horrific. It's like big boulders, like I said, and like, um, and it was pouring rain when I did it, right? Like torrential rain, middle of the night, 2 a.m. You're like, this is a bad scenario. Like going down this mountain with big boulders. And it's like, yeah, I made it through that. No problem. You know, I made it like through the cities. No problem. And, you know, you do all these things that you think are like dangerous or like where you could have gotten into an accident. And then you're like, oh yeah, that's where I got hit. Like, you know, that will blow someone's mind. If I was to like take a ride with somebody down there and go past to like where I got hit and be like, yeah, I got hit right here. I mean, like that would not be believable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is unbelievable. And it, and that's the scary part about it. That is what makes this so scary. It's like, it would be different if you fell off the edge of a mountain because you were doing something gnarly whenever you were sleep deprived and you were rained on and whatever, and you slipped fine you know we can like rationalize that and accept that a little bit better but to just get hit in broad daylight on a straight road it's like fuck it's just fucked yeah that's kind of frustrating like because my other accidents i could blame on myself yeah honestly it's like but that part of it can be frustrating (laughs) so let's talk about unearthed uh yeah we we started with the meat and potatoes but i mean like (laughs) i know (laughs) This was a big project to you. Um, what is unearthed? Yeah. 
t- t- like tell us about the project itself. What what is it? Why'd you decide to do it? Yeah, so you know, um, I'm no stranger to the Great Divide Mountain Bike Route. Obviously, I mean, I've been riding it since 2007. So I've I've raced it seven times, ridden it on a tandem. I've ridden it on different bikes, and you know, I live 30 miles from the route. Um, I've toured on it. Um, I've taken clients out on it. Um, and so it's this trail that I like absolutely love and been addicted to for a long time. Um, and then there's a piece to it. Like, um, I like to test equipment and different ideas and different strategies. And so, um, I was really interested in bringing a, a, a long wheelbase bike down the route, a mid tail bike, if you will. Um, and so it really stems from that, you know, several years ago, I rode a mid tail bike across Alaska and I, um, just learned all these little nuances with the bike and, um, just like the positives about the bike that I seen. And so then I just got like really curious. I was like, ah, this would be fun to do in the summer. I was like, I want a mid tail bike. I want this gravel adventure bike for the summer and I want to ride the divide on it just to kind of see what it does. And then I was like, well, if I ride the divide again, like I need to do it for like other reasons. Like I need to figure something out. Like what's, what's going to like be good in my heart and my head. And I was like, well, I could raise some money. Um, okay. Let's not just pick like a random, uh, nonprofit out of the sky. So I just like, I know Rebecca Rush quite well and she's got her kind of nonprofit that she started a handful of years ago. And I was like, reached out to her and she, I was like, Hey, let's raise some money like for your organization. What's that look like? And she's like, well, we could do it like this and we could raise some like money for bike pack scholarships or however you want you structure. I was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Um, so that was a good feeling piece, a feel good piece. And then, um, you know, going back to the route, I wanted to like talk about adventure cycling association. Um, I didn't like what I was doing. I was riding, the great divide mountain bike route and not doing the tour divide. I see like the tour divide has like morphed and has become this thing that is so big. It kind of almost drowns the great divide mountain bike route because everyone just like, uh, continually says tour divide. And even when they, even when they reference the great divide mountain bike route, they still reference it tour divide and the tour divide is, is basically an event. Um, and so, and there's like, there's a lot of hey, misleading Jay, do information. You wanna- yeah, I actually just why don't you clear it up? Uh, because I think this, you know, I hear the the same or, or same statement you're making. The difference between the Great Divide Mountain Bike Route and the Tour Divide, just so everybody knows what the distinction is. Yeah, the Great is. Divide Mountain Bike Route was created by Adventure Cycling Association, which is a nonprofit organization that creates um, that has been a big supporter of. Um, touring cyclists basically and you know they started by making road tours and different routes and so the great divide mountain bike route was their very first kind of dirt road tour um and so they are kind of the brains behind it they created it um and then um what well you know as the tour divide today is actually an event and a race that takes place on the route um, but not a hundred percent on the route. So there's different deviations. There's been some changes through the years. Um, and 
it's just it's different than what it really started out as as well i would say because now it is this bucket list ride item and i I think it's an amazing thing what this tour divide has done you know i mean first iteration it was the great divide mountain bike race and it went from border to border second iteration was the tour divide when it starts in banff um and so but the actual great divide mountain bike route the adventure cycling association has actually starts in jasper um so it's actually another four it's actually almost 500 miles north of of banff when did they add jasper as the starting point about 18 18 okay 2018 and, and so has like, anyone even, ridden the uh has anyone set an itt on the yeah the so that was the route? thing like yeah so that was a thing and you know like I think back of like when like John Stampstead, the very first person who time trialed the route, he looked at Adventure Cycling Association's route and it went border to border. And that's what he time trialed. And so like I, I kind of almost brought myself back to that moment and was like, well, today, what would John Stampstead, John Stampstead do if he was to look at the Adventure Cycling Association route? Well, it goes from Jasper. And so it just made sense to kind of do that, especially in trying to bring light to the great divide mountain bike route and not necessarily this tour divide um because there is a a lot of different um there's some confusion there because like i even polled the audience once and said like um i was trying to give props to the uh, adventure cycling association and said hey if you ride the tour divide you should probably make a donation to adventure cycling association and I thought that was like a fair, like trade a little bit and like ask. And I was like, how many people actually even know that adventure cycling? And so it was like kind of amazing. Like not a lot of people knew that. And I like, I got a lot of thanks for it. And like, even through my project, like as we kept shining light and differences and showing what that was, like people were really appreciating that knowledge because it yeah. is kind of lost and has been lost. Um, and so anyway, like, so that was my reason starting for jasper and like doing the whole thing and doing actually a hundred percent adventure cycling association route like not these deviations that the tour divide does and so like and honestly i was setting that up for other like young bucks who want to challenge the route or my time now i was giving them something to challenge with no question it's like not which route do you do because the tour divide has had different things and people are like, well, do you do Coco Plain, Coco claims or you do the Flathead Valley? And not that the audience knows what these are, but these are two different routes with on, on the tour divide that people ask when people are looking for the set of record or challenge the time, they're like, well, which way should I go? Or what about this? And what about, um, this alternate or what about the weather and this gets shut down in mud? Like I was trying to get rid of all of that because that only happens like in the tour divide, which could really only happen which I think like, honestly, you can only win the tour divide. And I don't think people should be able to set the record on tour divide. And so Uh, I was trying to set this template up to be like, Oh, you want to do a record on the great divide mountain bike route? Well, here it is because Jay did this and it goes from Jasper to the finish. And all you got to do is follow the ACA route. hundred percent. No questions. Super simple, a very easy formula for someone who wants to do an FKT. There it is. I was just like trying to put that out there. And then I was also leaving space for people to up the ante because I think that is important when people are doing challenging records and wanting to do FKTs. If there's an opportunity to do something harder or longer, I think they should. 
that comes down in the climbing world. When people um, set these routes in the climbing world, um, Joe will go do this route and he'll claim this route. Well, the second guy will look at the route and be like, I'm going to do this variation, which is going to be harder. And so then they up it. And so I was doing the main route. I was doing the main ACA route. And there's also alternates on that route. So if somebody wanted to like chase that record, but then up it and be like, hey, man, we're going to do this, but we're going to do the Flathead Valley. Perfect. So that gives that opportunity to kind of raise the bar. And then the next person would have to do the Flathead Valley and the route. And so I think it just like creates this, uh, this, this groundwork and like respecting each other as well. And also respecting the space of fastest known times and keeping things consistent. And some years you just can't do it. If weather doesn't let you, or if a fire doesn't let you, that's just the nature. And the, uh, I I believe it's the allure in the route of being like, am I going to be able to get a clean run? Like, that's a question because you don't (laughs) always get a clear. That's not always a clean. That's not always the case. So as a challenger, you got to accept that. Like, honestly, I've been super lucky. Like I've had seven clean runs. Wow. Um, with no alternates. Doing the tour, ride, like how I was supposed to do it. Like, you know, this time I was kind of like, like I was challenged with those, with that stuff. Um, and that was neat. That was a new experience for me. I had to deal with the fire. Um, and just like different things along the way, which was, it was, it was, it was neat for me, actually. Like, I'm, I'm glad I didn't have an easy run, um, because I feel so fortunate for my first seven, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not that they yeah. were easy, uh, <laughs> well, but, sure. the, the chal- but you had good weather. the challenges were less. Yeah. Um, but so anyway, like going back to like the unearth, like that was like kind of the thinking behind it and doing my own thing. And then like a a film piece, like, you know, I had agreements and like, we still like doing like um, interviews with like Mac McCoy, who created the route from ACA, you know, interviews with like uh, John Stampstead, the first person who time trialed the route Um, and other iconic people were being interviewed for this film piece. Um, and then me self shooting it. And I was doing interviews with like lodge owners and people touring it along the way. And I, so I really thought there was going to be this like really cool, like, um, piece in the end that would have been a, a documentary style, but like educational historic piece and a little bit of me. I didn't want it all about me. I wanted it more of like this pace that honestly to help clean some of this air that can be so confusing that's out there. Um, and all these other people putting out, uh, misleading information as well. And just using the acronyms as if they're one, you know, TD tour divide slash GDMBR great divide mountain bike route. And, um, and it's okay. Um, for, for that confusion to be out there. It just means that we, we, there's space, um, for education. Yeah. And, and I don't think there's a better way to have a better conversation and a, and a really good, a good conversation than when people know edu- uh, kind of history. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I love it. Um, I'm going to tell you in a little while about another project I'm working on in a similar vein to that, but I'm, I'm curious now, like 
was there any this confusion that you're talking about between Great Divide Mountain Bike Route and the Tour Divide? Uh, is what you were doing an effort to show a better way, or was it just to show a different way? It, you just know, to show a way. Just to show a way, yeah. To yeah. show a way, like so. It's not saying like, anything wrong with the Tour Divide, the what they got going not. on. Yeah, there's yeah. absolutely nothing wrong with that, and it should yeah. remain the way it is. Um, because it's done so much for sport, and it's so easily recognized. Um, just the word Tour Divide. Um, and it, like I said, it's done so much positive. Um, so it, it shouldn't change, but people should know that that has changed. Like, um, because like what it was when I first started in 2007 is it, it's different than what it is today. And that's okay. Like, I, like I said, I'm not saying anything's bad because something's different or something has changed. Things have progressed things have changed. Okay. Like accept the change and that's okay. And look at all the positive it's done, but just know that there was change. Um, and you know, in an effort to kind of, and, and I'm not necessarily trying to bring back the old school ways by any means, but like, what does it really mean to do an FKT or what does it mean to, establish a route that can have an FKT on. It has to be super consistent Yeah. for one. And that's consistent. And so what I was doing, I, I just thought that that was like a very simple way. And like I said, in the end, like, like my time wasn't going to be the fastest. Like, sure. I can put down a decent time, but like I'm 51 years old. Like I want to do this because like, I want, the young someone else to chase that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden that is like the ticket because like, like if someone tries to go after the FKT on the TD on the tour divide, it's a tough one. Yeah. Can, I, I'm so you glad you brought race. that up. You could do the I'm race. I'm so glad you brought that up. What, how should we as a community look at, you know, specifically Mike Hall's FKT on the Tour Divide, but now, you know, Uba just set a really fast time, uh, but it was on a different route than than Mike Hall's. And, and he and I are having the conversation, like, who decides? Like, who decides has who has the fastest time? Like, what is the protocol there? So, yeah, add your wisdom to that conversation, please. Yeah, and that's why, and that's why I think it's, like, another time for change. And that's okay. And I think people just need to understand, like, you can't, yeah, like, let's just, first of all, take Mike Hall's number and retire it. Like, let's just put him on the shelf. Mm -hmm. Like, that's done. That's established. Like, just like retiring a number in football. Like, nobody gets that number anymore. Like, stop trying to chase that time because the time can't be compared because the route's different right now. So, okay. So that exists. Okay. So now you like, you can, you can win the tour divide, but like more often than not, they're not even following like what's supposed to be the route. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, what Sofian was going fast, but then had fire detours. Um, the boys went super fast this year, but had some weather and things like that. And that's okay to talk about. Like, 
I think it's okay to add that in the end. Like he won, but he also had six days of snow, sat in the basin for 24 hours, like, or whatever. It's okay to say those things, but like, and that's during the divide itself. That's and, and when I say tour divide, I'm saying that means you left on the grand depart day, second, uh, Friday in June. And okay. So that's what you did. Now it's apples to apples with all those people racing, but they're all racing against each other. And that also has a different flavor and feel than what a true FKT is when you're by yourself. Like that's a different game in general. Um, and then when you don't have a consistent route to chase, when you don't have a consistent route to do, like, what do you do? And so I think going back and saying, well, just do ACA route. That's like, that's really simple. And that's kind of what I was trying to do, I guess, in a way. Um, and just put a dangle, the carrot out there and, and let's face it. Like the percentage of people that chase that FKT stuff is so small. <laughs> um, and they really are individuals and there's only going to be a few, but give them something to chase. We're out there. Um, and I don't think you can chase the tour divide that way as you can just by saying ACA route, GDMBR. It starts in Jasper. That's legit. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, and I've even had this conversation with Matthew. Like Matthew's a friend of mine. Like we definitely go back and forth. And like I put him like on the spot a lot. And because like, you, I mean, if we want to talk about a little history here, like the reason it moved to Banff was because Matthew Lee moved it to Banff when ACA extended their route to Banff. So Adventure Cycling Association extended the route to Banff. Matthew's like, all right, boys, like, I'm going to start a new event. And so now the route's longer. We're going to make it longer. And so he starts in Banff. Okay, fair enough. Well, I said, hey, Matthew Lee. Hey, man, ACA just extended the route to Jasper. Why aren't we going to Jasper? Come on. Why aren't we going to Jasper? And he doesn't really have an answer for me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like, I want to know I'm what his answer it, is. I'm doing, I'm doing to him what he did to the previous organizers. Yeah. Right? And so I just laugh at it. He's like, well, you know, like logistically to get up there, it's a little tough. And I'm like, Matthew, that's bullshit. Because anyone that's going for a bike ride for three weeks – it doesn't matter. Like they're going to get to the start no matter what. Yeah. And then when and I was up there this year, I was like looking at the hotels and everything. I was like, this place can handle this. I was like, dude, this is like such BS. And like, and I just started laughing and, it, and that's fine. And like, honestly, like, I don't think it should move. Like the tour of that is what it is. It put its stake in the ground. It's already got some deviations. Like, no, it shouldn't extend to Jasper. Like, cause if you're going to do that, then fix everything else. Like bring everything out everything else back to ACA, but we're not yeah. going to do that. So, so let it be yeah. and let it keep making it changes. Honestly, um, that's fine. Um, and then have it anyway. just be standalone. Uh, each year is its own grand depart. And each year, those times will stand alone based on the weather, uh, whatever the route is that year. And those will be standalone times. And that's great. Good job. 
Yeah, because it's also going to be the situation too of like, um, you know, like, like I just think it's weird if somebody now says they want to go for the TD record, right? Yeah. So then, so then what they're going to do is chase Mike Hall's record. That means his route as well, which isn't the route of today's TD. And that just seems a little like strange to me a little bit because like, so only the people. So if you're racing the TD, does that mean you don't have a shot at the record? Because you're not following Mike Hall's record and you don't. It's a weird space. It is a weird space because you're just like, okay, I'm going to pick 2015 version of this route. I'm going to race that one. And then someone could come along and be like, I want to try the 2018 version of the route. And then you establish it's, it gets real muddy real quick. Yeah. And so that's why I think it's just like, okay, if you want to set the Great Divide mountain bike route. Yeah, it's simple. It's simple. You follow the ACA route. Yeah. And there's like no confusion there. And I, and I think, uh, and, and honestly, there's an attraction, um, for people like that, that, you know, that small percentage that I talk about, because also like we're adding 500 miles to it. Like that's attractive immediately Yeah. for that person that chases that they're like, Ooh, longer. Like who doesn't want to go yeah. longer? Like, Oh yeah. I'm certainly that guy. Like I don't chase that stuff like I used to, but if I, if I, if I bring myself down to the, like the 35 year old Jay, like where it was like looking for routes to chase records on, like, um, like that would be more attractive for me, honestly. Like I would skip the tour of and be like, no, I want to go do this. Yeah. Um, you know, unless Let's, you want like the camaraderie of the people, which is awesome, but it's still a different game. Let's talk about your, uh, your bike. Um, yeah, dude. That, that was another fun spin on the great divide mountain bike route. Not only did you start in Jasper, but you did it on a very unique bike setup uh, that I know you're pretty stoked on. So kind of the cool thing is one, you can tell us about the bike, but you can also tell us how it was performing and what you might change going forward on it. So yeah, let's hear it. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm familiar with long bikes already. Like, you know, um, I ride tandems and have a lot of experience with tandems actually. So that's one level of experience with a long bike. And then, you know, the midtail bike, uh, the salsa black bro that I rode thousand miles across Alaska on the winter was another big experience for me. And so now when I was looking to have this experience, like I said earlier in the show, um, I was actually looking to have one built this year. Like I was like, cause I've been thinking about this for years. So it's like, finally, like it was in my brain and my brain and my brain. And then this year I was like, I'm doing it. I'm going to get that bike made. And so I was knocking on doors, knocking on builders doors. And then all of a sudden this, I got a picture of this bike in my inbox and I was like, okay, this is easy. I need that bike. And so it turned out to be uh Esker, obviously no secret. And, um, they had one just lying around that they've been messing with Tim, the owner's been messing with. And I know Tim and I was like, dude, man, like, I got this pride. I want to ride this thing down. the ride. I really want to learn about this. I think I could pack it different. I think it's got subtle, these, uh, subtle things that like, you don't really know only add up over this big long ride like sure man sounds good i'll get you on okay um so but then it was like built pretty specific like all the things i've learned you know drop bars with three different 
shifting positions. You know, I put a suspension fork on, which I haven't done since my second divide on a tandem in 2009. I haven't run a suspension since then, but now I know the value of suspension. I put more weight on that. So like I put a suspension fork on, um, and then just the way I had it kitted out as far as luggage and placement of my gear is, is pretty thought out and specific. And I wasn't carrying a sleeping system. Um, I just know the route so well, the little cubbies I could sleep in the lodges and there's more services out there than there ever was. Um, so, which means there's more places to sleep. Um, so it, it was a really fun build in general. Um, there's a couple of things I will change moving forward with the build. I am going to build another one. Um, and a couple of small things was, uh, you know, actually Redshift makes this uh, two position seat post mm, that yeah. I really want to put on there. Um, and, uh, you know, I got this bike a week before I left on the ride, which was absolutely nuts. So I had no experience on it, had no oh. time to dial it in. I got the frigging thing a week before scrambling to put it on, realize I have boost hubs with a non-boost fork i'm freaking drilling holes in the frame to run wires i'm having shit overnight because compatibility and like things were nuts for like six <laughs> days before i left that's all i had the bike for i got it on a thursday i left that next thursday wow. um so i had like zero time on the bike so no dial in time but it's not like I haven't done this before and it's not like I don't have no experience. I went with <laughs> it. I'm comfortable with it. There's some anxiety for sure, but I made it happen. Um, and so there was just some small things that I didn't get to do. Like people are like, dude, you're running a 34, 120 step cast. I was like, yeah, a little much, but you know, I wanted like a hundred mil for, but it's what I had and it's what I had to make the bike work and that's okay. Um, and then you know, I'm a big fan of Visco set headsets, which I didn't put on here, which I was so mad about every time. And a Visco set is like a, it's like a binding headset almost. It keeps the front end from like flopping. It gives you stability mm -hmm. and steering. I've been putting it on all of my adventure bikes there again. I discovered it a few years back um, and I put it on all bikes. I didn't put it on this bike and I was so mad at myself the whole time because the front end was moving when I'm just trying to shift and do things and work on my bike. And so just a few like part things. That's a couple of them. Um, and then, uh, I am going to mess around with a, um, little bit more of a strategic bag setup on it. Um, but other than that, I love the way it rode. Um, and it's, I keep going back to this and I need to come up with different terminology, but it's like, it's easy for me to say stable. And that's an easy thing for someone to realize and be like, well, of course it is. It's, it's a long bike. Of course it's going to be more stable. But stable goes deeper than that. Um, stable means it's quieter on the trail. Stable means it doesn't take as much work or energy for me to move the bike around. Stable means um, it's faster and quieter on the downhills. I, I don't have to ginger around things. The bike stays quiet instead of just like popping all over. I don't need to control it as much. Um, and then the way I had the weight on it, like zero swing weight. Like I had people get on the bike and be like, dude, it doesn't even feel like you have a load on here because mm. there's nothing above the tire. 
So not only did I didn't have a rack, a rack is going to sway, a seat bag is going to have weight in it. It makes the whole bike sway. Like, and I'm an out of the saddle rider and I can like move a bike and like, you don't, there's no feedback on that. So it's just super quiet. Um, and like, I, I really enjoyed that. Like there's all these things that add up, but you're like, no, I'm going faster than I could on a regular bike or I'm being less fatigued than I would be on a traditional bike. And then, um, with suspension fork, like you could just charge like between suspension fork and it being a midtail bike. Like I've never gone more, I've never gone faster or more comfortable on the downhills in a divide run in my life. Um, and so like, okay, so positive, positive, positive. Um, okay. So what's the negative? I don't know. <laughs> like, oh, wait, here's the negative. I can't rip around corners. Yeah. I'm not ripping when, around corners. Yeah, Fair you're enough. on the Tour Divide. No, no, you're no, on the Great Divide mountain bike round. <laughs> you're going straight for 3,000 miles. I don't yeah. need a quick responding bike. For like, sure. That's what it is. Um, so I will say, like, I felt a slight bit of lag at first, like, like when you think you're just going to like hop on the bike and give it some, and it's going to react like, yeah, I could feel like this second of delay, but like once things are moving, that's gone. Right. Like, right. Like, yeah, it's not, it's not road race geometry where you're, when you get on the bike, you feel the bike move. (laughs) Um, but that's okay because like, I'm not looking to take the sprint. So the things that I can kind of like pry out of it and dig out of it, that might be a negative. They don't apply in this situation. So it's very purpose built for a very singular purpose. And that was the great divide mountain bike route. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to hone something in on that specific, that specifically is like pretty neat. And like, I feel myself being very fortunate, spoiled, lucky to be able to do something like that. Like, dude, like build the best great divide mountain bike route. You can bike with no other reason to build the bike. When you could put that kind of focus into something, it's pretty neat. Um, and I, and I learned like 2000 miles, I got to ride the bike and I, and I learned a bit from it and, um, yeah. And I'm not going to like, yeah, I'm going to continue to work with this frame and this project. Um, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It is exciting. It's neat. Um, it's neat. And you know, like it's, it's fun for me to see, like when I first rode, um, the black Bro across Alaska, like spoke about it. I did it. I believed in it. Wasn't bullshit. I wasn't being paid to say these things. Like I'm a pretty genuine, like straight up dude, like sponsored or not. I'm going to talk about the product, how I feel about it. Sponsor doesn't like it. Well, sorry, then I'm probably not the right person for you. And that's fine. Um, and it was, it's fun to see how many midtail bikes now actually do that ride. Right. Um, the ITI. Yeah. It's fun for me yeah. to see. And it's fun for me to see like another brand starting to make the bike. And, um, and I know where that comes from. 
Um, and it'll be curious in uh, five or ten years from now when like half the field is always on. I'll, I'll be all on mid tails, you know. That'll be yeah, another yeah. feather in the cap, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's uh, it's just neat. Like and and, I, and obviously, like I love to spend time with that stuff and tinkering and looking at things differently. I'm not afraid to try something different. Like I've been successful with a lot of my bikepacking events and what I've done in racing and have one events, whatever, but like, I'll go back and still do it different. Like even yeah. if I've been successful with something one way, it's just like, I still try something different within the gear, the bike, what I bring my strategy, how I pack. It's like, I'm still not done playing with that stuff. Like I'm a, like a little kid with it. And like, that's honestly what's been keeping me going for all these years. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that, yeah. I mean, so maybe that's one of the only good things about your current situation is you have a lot of time to at least in your mind play with and start to prepare and plan for um unearthed uh 2.0 uh, i don't know what you're going to call it but um yeah. you know be best case scenario you know if everything goes the way you would like it to go when do you think that you would like to take another stab at at this event at this ride yeah i've been like softly thinking about i have a uh, I have some other life stuff going on as well too. So like scheduling something like this is pretty tough. Um, summers are busy for me with some other work, but um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like there's going to be a stab at it. I just don't know when, like I like the time I left this year. I like going on my own time. Um, you know, I know there could be some like fun to be had if I was to go in a similar time as the grand part of the tour divide. There could be some like cool, just like layover type stuff and how it intermingles and not like different times when I'm on route and not on route and uh, being a part of that camaraderie. And actually it could be an opportunity to bring even more attention to the project and meaning more attention to uh, adventure cycling association and their route. And like, so that, like, it's really more about that. It's like, not about like bringing attention to me, but like, how can I bring like, what, how can I maximize this? And what do I do to set the project up for its most success, bringing, bringing more attention to like the route itself and the history and this other stuff that I think is important and not like, not me doing the ride itself, but this other stuff. And so an overlay with the TDs would certainly make sense. Like, right. Like I can't ignore that. Um, but I don't know if I'm ready then. And honestly, like whenever people approach me and talk about the, like, um, leaving on the actual divide and things like that, like I'm the first to say, are you sure you want to do the grand depart? Because I think it's the worst date you can possibly leave. Like I'm pretty much like straightforward with anybody that like calls and like asks me about, Hey, I want to do the divide this and that. Like, yeah. Are you really like uh, married to this grand departure? Because like, it's really not that great of a date. I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. And so I like to do things that make sense for myself as well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, uh, yeah, whenever that day comes, I know we'll all be excited for it. And I, I, I could see, yeah, not to, uh, just to, to help promulgate the message that you're trying to showcase between the two different routes, doing it at a same or a similar time as the tour divide is a good way to showcase, Hey, there's, this is a route. This is a race that's happening. And we also have a route that's happening, you know, and they're both existing. They're both, they're both here. And I think, yep. 
helping to clear up some of that is valuable. Um, and it actually, we've touched on it uh, briefly here and there throughout this conversation, but uh, it speaks to a longer, a larger conversation about the history of bikepacking, the history of the sport, you know, where the, the rules and the ethics and the ethos and everything came from. And I know you've mentioned that that was part of your uh, your project was to help fill in some of the historicity of the Tour Divide. Um, as a as a podcaster and somebody who wants to help preserve the history and make sure that as new people come to bikepacking, that they understand the space that they're stepping into and at least understand and respect uh, the history of where we came from. So like, me and my small little team, I'm starting to work on a project to um, also help fill in the history of, of bikepacking at large. And uh, I, we're, we're just now starting to put the frameworks on like what that would look like. But um, I'd like to formally ask you if you'd like to be a part of that uh, and just be a guest whenever I do that podcast because I'd like to talk to like you and John Stampstead and... Uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name over at the ACA that, that developed the route and Matthew Lee and, you know, and, and maybe Kirsten at Brush Mountain Lodge, you know, like I really want to help make sure that we don't lose the history and that we know, um, how we got here. And, and, uh, you know, I'll be honest, like I'm, I, I joined the community six years ago. So like, there's a lot that I don't know that I'd like to have a better understanding and appreciation for. And I know you got your own project working on, but I think, you know, my thought is like the more information, the better, you know, the more we can help educate people and, and fill in blank spots and, and why is it this way? And, 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 and even the conversation, like there's so many things, I, I guess I'm kind of apologizing because like we could have a five hour podcast today because um, <laughs> we could talk about media. We could talk about, you know, all these different races. We could talk about them being held on public lands and what it looks like for an organization to potentially come in. Like there's so many conversations that I would like to have with you. And I guess what I'm asking is, you know, if you'd be open to tabling some of those and maybe we can chat uh, sometime in the future and, and really have a, a larger conversation about bikepacking, where it came from, its history, and and how we think about it, you know? Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I think it's awesome that you're going to take that on. I mean, sounds like you're just kind of painting that picture now for yourselves and things like that, but it sounds really cool. I mean, like, I'm, like, I'm definitely, like, I'm vocal in that area, like, you know, and, like, I'm not afraid to be, and, like, I, I, like, sport a lot. I'm super passionate about it, so, like, something like that, like, I'm more than happy just to share my experiences and that's all it is is like you know like i'm like i'm not the grand poopah of poopah of like bike packing by any means like i'm just someone who's been around it for a long time and has experience in a lot of different events and around the world and organized events unorganized events and that's all i have to share and see and i've been around and seen change and like what it meant to like not race being tracked like from all these different things um and, and those are fun things i'm not against where sport is today either um yeah and it's like and there again like going back to the history of it though is like super important so like anyway uh yeah i'd be more than happy to just give you my take on some of that for sure yeah no i appreciate it. I, yeah it's not about 
the the cool thing about bikepacking is that there isn't a organization that's in charge, which is awesome, right? Um, but For sure. I think I think it, <laughs> but but in lieu of that, we don't have an official record keeper. We don't have official rules. We don't, and, we, and I'm not advocating for that. But what I am advocating for is I want to sh- make sure that me and anybody else who's interested that wants to come into this space understands how we got here. And, you know, it's up to you to like honor the past and decide where you want to fit in. And it's not about telling people how to do it. It's just saying, hey, I want to collect the history before, you know, heaven, you know, goddamn, you lived through this bike wreck. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> like, I can't talk to Mike Hall anymore. You know, uh, I there, I, I think that it's, it, it's important. And I would like you know, through whatever effort I can with this little podcast to um, piece together a, a work. Like I've talked to John Stamstead about coming on to, to speak to this as well. And um, I think that, yeah, I think it could just do value in the community to just have an understanding of where we came from. What What is the history? Um, so that when people come into the space, they know what the space is that, that they're in and they can appreciate it. And, and it's not about telling people do it this way or you're wrong or you're right. It's just, it's about educating and and informing. And then that's the great thing is people get to make up their own minds about how they do it. But I think clearing up confusion and, and having an understanding of our history just has merit and value by itself, you know? It's huge. Like I think actually like one of the, one of the biggest things is like tour divide itself has had such a big impact on bikepacking. Um, but and like people want to follow, like you'll often hear people be like tour divide rules. Um, you'll hear people say that when they talk about events and things like that. Um, the thing is like tour divide is very unique in its own self. It's like nothing could be replicated. You can't have another tour divide. There's never going to be another event like it. Um, and even when it comes down to the rules and ethos and ethics and whatever's written there and bullet pointed, like none of that, no other events really follow that or can be like, um, or they can even follow that because like there's no one that really um, enforces those things. The community does with tour life. Any other event is going to be an organized event or there's going to be someone that's running it and that is going to actually enforce those bullet points. Tourvide doesn't have that. Nobody enforces that. Um, but yet everyone wants to look at it as this great example and follow its rules. But you can't. And like, and there again, nobody enforces those, but the community does. Um, and that's where people get confused. And like a lot of people need and want rules. And like you can have that. There's plenty of organized events. Like Go do a Nelson Trees event or go do like, there's so many now, right? There's hundreds of events and like there's organizers to them. There's actually race directors to them. Understand this people like bikepacking is not like these people have race directors and you sign manuals and the rules are deep. That's what you're following. You're not following tour divide. You're following that race director's rules. Right. And then like, even like, the OG events, like even like the AZT in Colorado, like they do still have somebody kind of enforcing the rules and calling people out on stuff. There still is an organizer for each one of those. 
Um, but there isn't for the tour divide. Yeah. Um, it's a very unique thing, but they want to follow it. Um, yeah. and everyone just needs to know that it's its own thing. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I, and that's what I say on the podcast a lot is like, and good. Like one thing that this community I think does well is, is, um, like respect and appreciate different modalities of doing the same thing. Like we're not all kitted up the same. Our bikes aren't all the same. Like we love self-expression and we love doing it our own way. And that's why, that's why I kind of tell people like, look at events is like, you know, that's kind of the fun part is you can go to this event and it's going to be like this person, this race director set up this way. You can go to tour divide and Matthew Lee, uh, you referenced him as a disorganizer, which I really liked <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. on one of your posts uh, that I read on social media. Um, but we don't need it to all be one way. You know, I think celebrating the diversity of this sport is the cool thing. And it is cool that you can do it a hundred different ways in a hundred different places. Right. Like that's cool. I think it's awesome. <laughs> Fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the only downside is that it, I think it gets, it. I don't want to use messy is the wrong word, but just people get confused and people like, yeah, just confused. Yeah. They just right get, to be. Yeah. yeah. They have every right to be confused. Like if you to like, if all of a sudden like you just learned about like Tour Divide or Great Divide Mountain Bike Route, and like all of a sudden you're going down the like the hole and you're like watching these different like programs or videos and this like that, like you could definitely easily be misled or different information. And then you're talking to someone that's like super educated on it, and they're like, whoa, like like there's yeah. <laughs> yeah but, yeah no you're uh, absolutely right which is why i want to you know it's like i think i have a decent feel for the history but um i could still uh there's always more to learn and i love learning right um but as i've done this i've been doing the podcast for five years now i'm noticing i'm sure you are that that this is growing you know more and more and more people are are being attracted to bikepacking and as we introduce new people in i think we have a responsibility to educate and to inform um to the best of our ability you know and 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 then i think and then i think you give the community the tools to be good stewards and good members right it's not telling you what to do it's explaining where we are how we got here and now you're educated and now you are a steward of the ethos and the history of the sport, you know? Totally. Uh, I agree. Cool. Well, we'll table that, man. I'm excited to yeah. have that conversation. It's something that um, in, in the recent past few months is something that I've started to talk with my teammate uh, behind the scenes here. Um, yeah, yeah. That's cool. the project that I'm going to be working on. So it, it would be very meaningful to have your voice added to that conversation for sure. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to. All right, Jay. Well, cool. uh, thank you. Thanks for coming yeah, on the podcast. You. Um, for sure. I'm deeply sorry that you were a victim, uh, and we're hit on your bike. I mean, this is like the worst case. And I guess worst case is you're dead. Um, second worst case is that you're, you're, God, dealing with medical bills and recovery and, and not being able to do the thing that lo you love absolutely the most. And so, uh, yeah, heart goes out to you, man. Uh, all the best yeah, with your you. recovery. And, um, yeah, look forward to seeing you back on the bike uh, sooner rather than later, for sure. Cool. Thanks, Patrick. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jay. We'll yep. uh, talk soon. Okay. Ciao. 
All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. And a special shout out goes to Jay Peterberry. We're all rooting for you and looking forward to seeing you back on the bike as soon as possible. All right, well, uh, I am heading out on a little ITT of the Central Texas Showdown route. Um, today is Tuesday. I'm going to leave Thursday morning at about 8 a.m. I mean, I don't have an exact start time. I'm riding with my friend Ariel, and uh, we're going to just wake up that morning, pack our shit, and get on the road. So it could be 7 a.m., it could be 8 a.m., it could be 9 a.m., but we're going to get on our bikes, and we're going to ride those damn things. Um, so we're taking on the 475-mile showdown route. This is taking place two weeks before we actually do the showdown event and I'm probably equal parts uh, nervous and scared um, 475 miles that's a poke it's been uh, since 2018 whenever I rode 500 miles and uh, yeah we'll see I'm excited it, you know the exciting part is just always seeing like where you're at I always say on the podcast like the only way to find out um, where you're at in an endurance effort is to go out there and test yourself and push yourself. And because of the unknown factor of it, it's always a little scary. It's always like, Oh, can I do this? Do I want to do this? Why am I doing this? You know, normal questions. Uh, but, uh, I am looking forward to it. And of course I'm going to be recording my experience and taking you along for the ride. So whether you're interested in uh, bike packing or that route in particular, uh, that episode might be interesting to you. Um, but highs, lows, the good times, the bad times, no matter what happens, I'll be taking you along for the ride and uh, it'll be nice to have some company out there. You know, it's kind of interesting. Like there's so many people who listen to my podcast while they're on their rides. Um, but I'm actually going to be making one of my podcasts on one of my rides. Um, so a little inversion there. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, um, that's about it for me. I do want to send a quick reminder that we have 33 spots left for the East Texas showdown registration, which is awesome. I'm so glad that it's actually still open last year. It sold out so fast um, that there was so many people that were like, oh my gosh, I couldn't get in. It sold out too fast and I felt really bad. Um, but this year I'm excited cause there's no excuses. Um, I think we've had registration. Yeah. Registration has been open for like five days. Uh, it'll close, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll definitely like sell it out. Um, I have no doubt. Uh, but at least this time, even the slow pokes, even the pro slows among us are, uh, are going to be able to, uh, get a spot. So that makes me happy. And if you are one of those slow people that doesn't want to be left behind and wants to ride your damn bikes with me and my friends in the East Texas piney woods, I recommend you head over to bikereg.com and search for showdown, or you can go to texasshowdownseries.com and all the information is available there for you. And, uh, that's it. I hope to see you there. And I really appreciate you tuning into today's episode. And I hope you enjoyed that chat with Jay. Maybe send him a message of well wishes. I'm sure he'd appreciate it. All right. And until next week, friends, you know what to do. Go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. You rode faster than ever before. Was it your magic?
just a few more miles. Find some more death. Find some more death.